So what you believe matters. When you are in a really difficult season, when you're in crisis, when things really come push to shove, your true beliefs will come out. And so we can say that we believe certain things, but when we get into those moments, we get tested, and we have to evaluate what is it that I really believe. So we are at dinner Friday night, and we are at ABC Chinese. Thank you, David, for that introduction. We are at ABC Chinese, and we're finishing up our meal, and suddenly a lady in the booth next to us starts screaming violently. And if you've been to ABC, like, the first thought is, there's a mouse. Um, it's, it's good food, but seriously, like, the wallpaper is duct taped to the wall. So... So this is my first reaction, and, and in the booth next to us, there's this commotion, there's this lady screaming, and then a man, like, rustles around, and then, next thing I know, he is passed out cold on the floor. And this has taken a terrible turn. Like, what is going on? This, and, and this man looks dead. I mean, he is out. And so we're in this panic moment where your beliefs start to get tested. And for me, my belief is like, I don't know what to do. Like my head goes blank, and I'm like, there's this dead man sitting on the, laying on the floor. And so we yell to the waitress to call 911. We all have phones at our table, mind you. But she is the one who is supposed to be calling 911. That's what I believe. And so in the midst of this chaos, Elena gets her phone and calls 911. And calmly and coolly walks the 911 dispatcher through everything that has happened, where we're at, what the address is off of the menu, and calls for help. And I'm standing there like, Good job, Elena. And so in that moment of crisis, in that moment of panic, our beliefs really came out. And I froze. I did not handle that well. Yes, yes. We trained her well. And I just froze. And so I, I use that to introduce us into this series that we're in, this journey that we started back in January, looking at our core beliefs. Because when we get into these moments of crisis, our beliefs really matter. What's really at, at our deepest core, what we really believe, this is what matters. And so in January, we started going through these core beliefs. And, and we framed it this way. We, we looked at who we, uh, we look at, nah, sorry. Go to the next slide. That's what I'm trying to say. So we looked at this graphic. We want to be like Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, we want to be followers of his. And to be a follower of him is to look like the one that we're following. So we want to be like Jesus. So if we want to be like Jesus, 
We have to think like Jesus. We have to think how he thought. We have to have the core beliefs that he has. What we think about God, what we think about eternity, what we think about the Bible, what we think about the church, all of these things are critical for us to be like Jesus. And so we spent about 12 weeks looking at these core beliefs. As followers of Jesus, these are the things that we need to believe. Well, from there, there is a next step, because you can think all day long, but you actually have to do something. You have to start acting like Jesus. I can think that I need to be nice, and then I'm acting mean. I can think that I need to love my enemies, but I can act in a very different way. I can think that church is important, but I can act a very different way. And so how we act becomes important. And so that gets us into this idea of core practices, that we have certain things that we need to practice to be like Jesus, that to take our beliefs into this next step and practice what Jesus practiced will help us to become more and more like him. Now, where we get in trouble is when we start thinking that it is in our own efforts to do more that things happen. And so the next step there is to understand that it is not in my power, it is not in my strength that this is happening. This is empowered by God. It is empowered by the Spirit working in us. That I am transformed to be more like Jesus because of God working into me, not because of my ability to say a nice prayer. And so we have to practice these things empowered by God. And so we got through five of these in the fall before we took a break for the summer. We talked about worship. We talked about prayer. We talked about Bible study. We talked about kingdom-mindedness, the, the idea that we have to be thinking about the kingdom of God and the work of God. And we talked about total surrender, my least favorite of the whole thing. That we have to surrender everything if we want to be like Jesus, because Jesus gave it all, right? And so we got through those five. And so now we pick up and continue for the next five weeks on five more of these. A Boston Globe article in 1993 had this story. It can never be said of Adelie Gabori's neighbors that they were less than responsible. When her front lawn grew hip-high, they had a local boy mow it down. When her pipes froze and burst, they had the water turned off. When the mail spilled out the front door, they called the police. The only thing they didn't do was check to see if she was alive. And she wasn't. On Monday, police climbed her crumbling brick stoop and broke in the side door of her little blue house and found that they believed what, what they believed to be the 73-year-old woman's skeletal remains sunk in a five-foot pile of trash where they had apparently been laying for as long as four years. It's really not a very friendly neighborhood, said Eileen Dugan, 70, once a close friend, and whose house sits less than 20 feet from the dead woman's home. 
I'm as much to blame as anyone. She was alone and needed someone to talk to, but I was working two jobs, and I was sick of her coming over at all hours. Eventually, I stopped answering the door. And so we have this very extreme story here of the isolation that we experience, the aloneness that we experience to the point of someone not having any relationships, who can, who can die in her own home and nobody would even think to check on her. Now, I doubt that many of us are in that kind of form of isolation. We got out of the house to be here, at least. But it makes us think a bit, right? The culture that we're in, the relationships that we have, the importance of those relationships the being connected with one another. And so today we're taking a look at our sixth practice and its biblical community. Being in relationship with one another. Biblical community is essential to the Christian life. It is, it is a critical part of who we are as followers of Jesus. And we engage in this new family that God has created under God's leadership. And, and we, can, we, we not only achieve God's purposes for our lives by engaging in this community, but we also help others in the world around us. That the, the community that people experience with us is something that is transformative to those who experience it. As we think about what we believe about biblical community, we first remember that we are created for community. Back when we were talking about our core beliefs, we, we talked about who God is, and we talked about God existing in this form of the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and those three have this perfect community with one another. And they invite us into that perfect community through, through the creation of Adam. And Adam should not be alone. And so they created, so God created Eve. And there's this perfect relationship that exists. God invites us into that. He designs us for that. Community is not one of those nice-to-have things. Being a part of a church family is not just something that is okay or something that makes us feel good. It is something that is at the very core of who we are designed to be. It's an essential experience for us to live in a healthy and godly life. God intends for us to have a rich and full life-giving experience in the relationships that we have. But as we well know, with Adam and Eve, there was a fall and that we experienced this break in relationship with God. And our own sinfulness and our own brokenness and, and the distance that we have between us and God, that all becomes challenging for us to really experience and engage in the type of community that God has designed us for. That we do things because of our brokenness to build up a wall to others. There's hurt that exists in our relationships. Churches go through so much hurt and brokenness because of the sinfulness of people, not because of what God designed us to be. And so God has designed us to experience this rich community. 
Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one of them helps the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so we see this importance of having more than one, two being together. But actually, there's a third there. Because there's the presence of God that's in community that distinguishes us from other communities. The presence of God is what makes the difference. Because there are a lot of different places that we can gather together with other people. There are sports teams, there are bars, there are clubs, there are organizations, there are things and places that we can go to gather with other people, especially if you're not introverted. If you are a social person, there are plenty of social opportunities to get to know other people. But the difference between those opportunities and those relationships and those connections is the presence of God. That when you come into biblical community, you experience the power of God's presence. Now, I would also argue that there are lots of Christian gatherings where people come together socially, and the presence of God may not be there. There are small groups, there are classes, there are church gatherings, there are activities where we come together, but we're not focused on God. We're focused on our own selfishness. We're focused on our own needs. We're not focused on what God has for us. And so what the distinguishing factor is, is the presence of God, that focus on God, that that is what our gatherings should be about. That's what our time together should be about. And so to have this life-giving sense of community, God has to be at the very center of it. It's God's presence in the group that provides the group with what it needs. In the Old Testament, God's presence was in the form of the ark that was in the most holy place of the tabernacle and later in the temple. But in the New Testament, God's presence among his people shifts. It's no longer confined into this one physical space. God's presence is now in the believers, that we become the temple. We become the place where the presence of God rests. The presence of God dwells in us. Ephesians 2 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. That we, 
as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are being built together. We're, we're these Lego pieces that are all formed together, and we click together, and we are brought together, and the presence of God is dwelling within us. How powerful is that? That you come into this place, and it's not about this room, it's not about this stage, it's not about any of the programs or activities that we do, but it's about the people of God coming together to experience and be the presence of God. And so when you walk into this space, people experience that, and they see that, and that becomes a testimony of who we are. So if the presence of God is required for this biblical community to happen, we come to this place where a new community is formed. That because of the presence of God, there is a new community. That in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we see this community forming. It becomes the new vehicle in which God uses for his purposes and for his kingdom. And there is this, this powerful outpouring of the Spirit after Jesus' resurrection, after he, he comes back and, and then ascends back to heaven. The, the, the believers are gathered together at the day of Pentecost, and there is this outpouring of God's presence onto them. And this launches us into a new community, a new church. Acts chapter 2 and 4 describe this, this vibrant community, the nature of this community, and, and who they were and what they were doing. They were devoted to the teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to one another. They had everything in common. They shared with one another. They met one another's homes, and they were one in heart and mind. This was the community that rose up out of the outpouring of the Spirit onto the people. But this community was not just for them. It wasn't something that was limited for them to experience. It caught the attention of those around them. That something was going on so powerful in the lives of these believers that people could walk into their presence and they would see that God was at work. That the the presence of God in this community, the way they lived life with one another and the way they interacted with one another and the way that they loved one another, it was contagious. It caught on to thousands around them and launched this movement that we have seen explode over the world, across continents. These followers of Jesus who were obedient to God's call to go and make disciples, to love God and love others. How powerful is that experience? And so as we think about what a biblical community looks like, there are certain marks, there are certain traits. Acts chapter 2 gives gives beautiful imagery to who they were and the things that they shared and the things that they did together. But the Bible has a lot to say about our relationships with one another. The Bible is, is full of descriptions of if you are a follower of Jesus, this is how you should be interacting with each other. This is how you should relate to one another. 
And so for us to get a sense of what the Bible has to say about this, um, inside of your bullets and inside of this core practices thing is a list of our relationships with one another. And I've asked uh, our praise team to, to read these verses for us. They'll be up on the screen. But I want you to hear these descriptions of what the body of Christ is to one another and with one another. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Romans 15, 7. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Colossians 3, verse 16. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Romans 15, 14. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2. Humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4, 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Philippians 2.3 God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that it lacked, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 1 Corinthians 12.25 Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Philippians 2, verse 4. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James 5, 16. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12.10. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 3.13. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Romans 14, 19. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, comfort and encourage each other with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3.13 Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12.10 Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter 4.9 be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 4, 32. 
Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Ephesians 6.18 You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Galatians 5.13 Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. John 13.14 and 15 Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. 1 Peter 4.10 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21 Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Ephesians 4.25 We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. John 13.34-35 So we've got these uh, powerful images of what it means to be the body of Christ, to to experience this biblical community. Um, And it, it is a valuable message for us to think about who God is and what he's designed us to be and what he wants for us. And so we see accept one another. Teach one another, bear one another's burdens, concern for one another, confessing to one another, being devoted to one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, honoring one another, being hospitable to one another, being kind to one another, praying for one another, serving one another, Submitting to one another, being truthful to one another, being sensitive to the needs of one another, and loving one another. Now, we have experienced community like that before, and unfortunately, we have very much experienced the opposite of that community before, where we have not treated one another in the ways that we've been called to treat one another. And when we've experienced that pain, we've experienced that heartache, we've experienced that disappointment. If you've been around this church for very long, you know that very well. But this is what we strive to become. This is what we strive to be. This is what we strive to be a part of. And it really takes each and every one of us being a part of that. Each and every one of us committing to being that kind of person to extend that to one another, to engage in that kind of community. 
There's a lot of practical ways that this happens. It happens with us coming together every Sunday in this community. This is a place where some of those one another things can happen. But there's only so much that a community this size can do. And so we break things up into smaller groups, into these smaller relationships where we can really invest in one another and relationships with one another. That's why life groups exist. That's why we invite you to participate in these smaller communities that, that meet in homes and, and meet around town where you can spend more time with one another to, to really engage in that kind of relationship. Because sitting in rows like this doesn't allow for that kind of exchange. That's why we have our Sunday morning classes. It's why we have ladies' Bible study. It's why we have... It's why we have Wednesday nights. It's why we have a lot of different ways in which you can gather together with other believers to spend time with one another, to encourage one another, and to be in this biblical community. And so in your bulletin, there's a list of some of our life groups. I'd encourage you to meet with the leaders of that group and find a group to participate in. Most of those groups are starting back up today after a break for the summer. Some of them carried on throughout the summer and, and have participated in that. But encourage you to engage in how you can participate in this idea of biblical community. We see this manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Uh, for me, this has been uh, a week, a month, <laughs> um, that really makes this come to life in some very real ways. To see the family of God gather around and rally around one another in times of crisis, in times of hurt, in times of loss. It's such a powerful testimony to what God can do and the transformation that he brings through that community. And so on Monday, I was at a funeral for my grandmother, where the family of God rallies together and spends time together celebrating the life of a woman, grieving the loss of a mother and a grandmother and a great-grandmother. But for me, what is so powerful is to, to see a family come together that, that is very disjointed, where you've got people from congregations all over town coming together to support one another. That as, as my family has been a part of multiple congregations for, for generations now, we have people driving up from Bosque Farms, and we have people coming from Mountainside, and we have people coming to Netherwood, and people coming to support us from Montgomery, and, and, and people that we have had a long relationship with for decades, come together to encourage one another and to lift one another up. I'm at a funeral yesterday at Mountainside for, for a 62-year-old woman who has just died of cancer. And I see people that I've had relationships with for decades come together to celebrate a life to share what's important. And we have people from Mountainside and Netherwood and Montgomery and 
all over town, all different faiths coming together to celebrate this woman's life. People who have played softball together and people who have gone to camp together, people who have worked together in various ministries around town. I see Facebook posts and words of encouragement and text messages that say we're praying for you, we're with you, we're supporting you. What do you need? We get a text message this morning from London from friends who have just moved there whose church is praying for us this morning. That that community extends way beyond these walls into places that we cannot even imagine. And people see that. And they're impacted by that. And God transforms them to be like his son. And that's what biblical community is about. Let's be standing together. My battery died, and so I gave a false signal to our communion people thinking that this was communion. <laughs> it's not communion quite yet. But it is our time of prayer. It's a time where we encourage one another. It's a time where we gather together and lift one another up. We bear one another's burdens through prayer. And this is a time where you can and should be moving from where you're standing. Because there are people in this room that you're in relationship with, and you know the circumstances that they're in. You know the situation that they're in. You know the diagnosis that they're waiting for. You know the relationship problems that they're having. You know the job problems that they're having. If you, if you, if you are engaging in this community, then you know the hearts and the lives of the people around you. And so I want to encourage you to move to those people during this time and pray for them. They shouldn't have to ask for it. And if you have a concern that you want to make people aware of, take that to somebody. Go to a friend, go to a small group, go to one of our shepherds and say, I need this right now. I need you to be praying for me. I need you to bear this with me. I need you to lift this up to God because I can't carry it on my own. And that's what this prayer time is for. So please, engage in it. Be with one another as we're the family of God together. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for the things that you're doing in our lives, the things that you are moving in. God, for those places where we're unsure and we can't see you, I pray that you will reveal yourself. I pray that you will move in powerful ways. God, help us to be with one another. Help us to encourage one another now during this time of prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.